Welcome, everybody, to episode 293 of the Extra Podcast. It's good to have you listening with us this week. Around the table, we have Matt Glezos. Hello. Welcome here, Matt. Thank you. Jeff. Hi. Yeah. We have seven more of these till the Magic 300. Are we going to do a video oh, again? I don't know. No, I doubt it. I think the video is not a good idea in the first two times. No, but, yeah. no. People would just be watching. You this. did it twice? Like I think one, so. 100 and 200? I think or so. What? Mm. That's, yeah, little little eye. We got to give the people a little eye candy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Got to do our hair that day, though. Yeah. And we also have Paul. Hey, good to be back. Wow. I wish I had a voice like that. It's a radio voice. <laughs> I know. People always say that. It's a great well, voice. People always say that on here. And I'm your host, John. I think John. last week I was on the bon- oh, bonus wow, podcast. Totally you, you were? Yeah. I went on that last week. I did. Wait a minute. What? So you... You're on this podcast, and then you went to another podcast. I wasn't on this one last week. Yeah, but I just, okay, well, I just think that's week. a little bit weird for you to be two timing us like that. Wow. That's right. You have to have some loyalty. Goodness. To the boy, I didn't think this was going to be so. Why did we get those tattoos if it wasn't? What? You guys shouldn't be talking <laughs> about this in front of me. You guys should be talking about it behind my back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we were just discussing how in Canada people will will often say very polite things to your face, but then behind your back, not. Not always say mm. such polite things. Kind of so. nice. Maybe we don't have to hear what they say about us on the podcast all the time. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So this last weekend, Jeff was talking about love and marriage and husbands and wives. And is there anything, Jeff, you didn't get to say that you think you'd yeah, like to say? Yeah, there's nothing else to say besides what it is that I said over those 40 some minutes this weekend. You went long this weekend. You I did. 48 minutes. No, no one 48. On the online, you're 48. Is it? Yeah. yeah. But it was 48, <laughs> which brought everything not, to know about marriage in 48 that is minutes, not, which was amazing. was not intentional. I know. So uh, it originally was less than that. Mm. And then I cut stuff out and it got longer. So I have no idea what happened there. But to be, to, to be honest, it's a subject that I feel... There are certain times you preach on things where you feel a responsibility to be remarkably nuanced and and clear with the language that you're using. Um, and so this was one of those. And so sometimes the cl- clarity of language and nuancing requires a little bit more time. So that's what I was doing mm-hmm. and trying to engage. I actually got rid of a few uh, pieces. And yes, there's way more to say about the subject. So I'll add one piece. Okay. So Ephesians 5, where it says, uh, wives to your husband. There's a, I mean, there's several things that you might be interested in. Um, one one of them is uh, when I was going through showing how the the Greek construction of this these verses shows. There's a there's a main verb, right? Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, there there are um, these dependent part, what we call participles, which are ing words like singing and speaking and addressing, addressing one another. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so you have these ing words and they all are, they are all probably participles of result, meaning that they, they, they show the result of the main verb, main verb being filled. Okay. What is the result? If you're filled, uh, it shows up in these places. Okay. Speaking to one other, one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, mm-hmm. uh, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, um, giving thanks, giving thanks in all things. Mm-hmm. And then submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That last verb, okay, is carried through into the. There's actually not a verb, as in submitting. <clears throat> yeah, okay. it's not actually Ephesians five twenty two doesn't have a main verb. It just says wives to your husbands and everything. 
That's the that that's the or wives to your husband as to the Lord. I can't remember the actual phrasing of the mm-hmm. verse. Yeah. You guys have it open. Yeah. ESV says wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So but you're saying that submit isn't there a second no, time? No, it's not. It's just picking up the same verb from there. So it shows this link between what he's saying. So he's what I was trying to say is that this this idea of submitting is now carried on into these relationships is very actually quite explicit in the Greek. That wives to your husbands as to the Lord is that that's the actual way it reads as opposed to wives submit. He doesn't repeat, repeat the word submit in right. that, in that passage. Um, the other thing is that's, that's interesting there is that, that you have, um, that phrase at the end, um, as to the Lord, right? Hmm. Yes. Wives, which, which honestly you could do an entire sermon on. So, so the, what the, one of the driving motivations for, for a wife, in the, at least in this context, to submit to her husband is that this is the place that God has called her, and the, met, the, 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 the means, or the, sorry, the, the manner that she, she should take as motivation um, or as a picture of how she's supposed to submit. She's, she does it in the same way that she does to Jesus. Um, yeah. Which I think is a, a helpful picture and idea. I was talking to my wife about that the other day, and how how uh, yeah, it is actually a, an act of worship that you're that you're doing in this process. One more, and this is probably the biggest piece that I did not include. Mm-hmm. When you go into Genesis chapter three, what you find in the fall is this phrase in Genesis three sixteen. I think it says uh, to the, it's the curse that comes upon the woman. It says, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Mm. The the best translations of that verse or understandings of that verse, I think, show that her desire f- will be to usurp his authority. That whole passage, by the way, is just there's authority and is, is all part of it. I mean, Adam, God comes to Adam in the garden. God reiterates and is in Adam all sin. So, mm-hmm. but your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And I... The idea of authorities in that word rule, but the language that's used there is rule is taken, should be taken, it's what we call pejorative, meaning it's a, it's a negative idea in that passage that he's going to actually oppress you. And this is really, in my opinion, a great description of the problem that happens in marriages all over the place, that what you have is, is a wife who is, doesn't want to be stepped on or treated poorly or wants to usurp her husband's authority, and then he ends up you. He ends up utilizing his authority in a domineering and um, demeaning way, impresses her further down, which of course drives her into further desire to usurp, and he presses down harder. And you see, like you see, this negative cycle going on. So I think a lot of people in the past, and and probably still currently, would read that whole thing there, where where it says that okay, she is trying to usurp him, but he's ruling over her. They would say like, oh, the rule over is actually. A command, but you're saying uh-uh. you're saying here that this is actually part of the curse. Yeah, it's not a command. That this isn't a command, but it's showing how Adam yeah. and all men um, will have the procliv- proclivity. Is yeah. that the right? Mm-hmm. The That's right. Tendency to oppress rather than love them. It's as, actually a prophecy. If yeah. you ask me, it's right? A, it's, he will rule over you. It's yeah. a description of what's going to happen from yeah. this day forward right. in the curse, which right. is the same thing that you find in all the other statements. You will have pain in childbearing, right? Okay. Uh, you, you the the you used to Adam and Eve Adam used to work the garden which was probably an orchard right and now he's going to have to it's probably the the sweat of his brow that he's going to have to to work it so it used to be easy and now it's hard 
It's mm-hmm. going to bear thorns and thistles. It's going to be difficult mm-hmm. for him. Anyway, so there will be a frustration. In other words, God created men and women in this godly, in this godly um, uh, role uh, situation where you had a godly leadership from the man who was created first. This is what mm-hmm. Paul points out. And then you have the woman responding as his, to use the language that's their help, helper. Yeah. All right. Or, or, um, so anyway, you, you get that in the, in the creation account in the fall, what you find is this is a usurping of that. In fact, that's what happened at the fall. Satan mm-hmm. comes to the, to the woman. Mm-hmm. She basically, and the man's there, but he's not taking any kind of leadership in this situation. You're right. Uh, she ends up being that. So everything's reversed. Okay. And then when God comes, yeah. he actually comes and he addresses the man. All right. Where's Adam? Mm-hmm. Adam, where are you? Right. Even though she's the one who's, and then he addresses these people and he, and, and in, in the curse, he's saying, so what, what you guys have done in the fall is that you, the, the good things that I've created have now been twisted so that they're going to be frustrating. So he doesn't introduce new thing, new things in the, in the curse. Mm-hmm. He just says that par- part of the the fall now is going to be the uh, disruption and difficulty in the things that I've already created that are good. So she has pain in childbearing. She was mm-hmm. going to bear children apparently without pain, or the the snake is now going to crawl in his belly all his days and eat dirt, right? As opposed to I'm assuming he used to crawl. Or do you see, do you see yeah. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and likewise, this godly relationship that they had with each other, you know, uh, naked and unashamed yeah. with one another, <clears throat> she help, helping him and he taking this kind of headship is now turned into headship has become a, an oppressive thing. And she has is going to be doing the same thing that happened at the in, initial fall by usurping his yeah. position. Yeah. What you find in Genesis or in, in Ephesians 5, though, is that in the gospel, you have the the opposite um, cycle going on. Mm. So you have this negative cycle of she wants his authority and then he uses it to oppress her and she wants it more and then he uses it to oppress her. And so you have mm-hmm. d- dysfunction and anger and frustration in the relationship. But in the gospel now, what you have is the husband loving the wife as Christ loved the church mm. and she's submitting to his godly leadership like the church submits to Christ. So you have now a positive and in response. Right. So, so she's right. responding to his godly leadership, which in submitting. And then he, of course, because she's submitting, wants to show more godly leadership, which makes her submit even better. And then do you see the cycle goes the opposite direction? Yeah. So we're seeing actually in Christ, marriages in Christ can are actually a reverse of yes. the curse, yes. a reverse of the fall. Right. And I think a that redemption. this is intended biblically. Mm, yeah. As, yeah. as a big no, picture right. of what God's doing in, yeah. in Christian marriage. And that's part of the challenge is that we, we just don't see that very often, or at least uh, maybe people within the church and without, they, they don't see that picture. So it's, it's hard to, maybe hard to believe and hard to see how it, you know, be one thing. I think if you talk to people as they uh, enter into marriage, uh, those who have seen that happen, it it's like a, yeah, there, there's no, I mean, this passage, they'd say, yeah, I've seen that in my mom and my dad. But when you haven't either, mm. uh, you just grew up in not a Christian home or even worse, it was, it was a quote unquote Christian home where there was a domineering leadership. Then it's, it's so destructive because there's an inherent distrust that this can actually, mm-hmm. actually happen. Right. right. And so this is, I mean, this is the case with every, every Christian, most Christian doctrines are buried and disbelieved because of many people's inability to carry them out. 
in practice, yeah. right? I mean, so uh, the the love Christ has for the world is is not often embraced by the world or seen by the world because Christians don't show it. Do you, do you see what I mean? We're called mm-hmm. to do this particular action. We don't do it, but and as a result, it ends up disparaging Christ himself and what he has to say. And this is another case, okay? So here's this godly picture of marriage, of the way it's supposed to function, but because... Because so many Christian marriages operate according to the fall and not according to the gospel, uh, what you find is people saying, well, it, it doesn't work. It's not It's right. not real. And yet it, it does and it has. Mm-hmm. And there are marriages that you can point to that suggest so. Uh, it's just that they're not always well seen. And and let's be honest, we, we tend to exaggerate or point out the ones that are really horrible and we end up kind of enthroning them in our minds saying say see it doesn't work because we ourselves are inclined toward the fall like we don't want it to work because we like what we like and i you know if i'm if i'm a husband i want to be able to dictate the terms in any in 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 my relationship i want her to do what i want to do and likewise she wants the same thing and so that's the that's the flesh, right? Mm-hmm. The proclivity toward those things. And I need the gospel. I need the spirit using the gospel in my life to reorient me to being the kind of husband who leads like Jesus does and gets down on his hands and knees and he mm-hmm. washes the feet of those who follow. And she needs the Holy Spirit so that she can submit and defer, which is a phrase that I think some people struggled with a little bit this week because we don't use the word of de- defer or deference. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Anyway, those are the things. You asked me, John, what things I could add. There's like three. Great. Thanks, yeah. Jeff. So this could have been longer. It could I have been one. Yeah. I said you, one, though. That's good. <laughs> we had some questions come in this after this weekend in this sermon. One of the questions comes from a listener who's been listening for a while. She says she loves the podcast and thanks us for putting in the time. But her question has to do with before you're married, is in dating should you see this kind of relationship play out and to what extent? I'll jump in. Uh, um, I think if there's, so really the question is, you know, I'm dating this guy. Is there some patterns that we should be establishing where I'm, I'm deferring to him? And uh, the strict answer is, is that that's not the relationship that's being addressed here. So, so Paul is not speaking to a dating relationship. So right. th- there isn't uh, a, a real way in which you should be or should feel the command of God that you need to defer. Um, and that's, and that's for um, God's, that's for your safety. The God, there's a, something special. The covenant of, of marriage is such that God's saying, this is now a safe place where you're pledging yourself to one another. You don't have that yet. I would say if you're looking to uh, foster that within you as as a woman, you do have, though, a relationship where you can do that, and that's your relationship with Christ. Mm. And so to the extent that you are uh, practicing this this deference, this, this um, Jesus, you're not just my Savior, you're my Lord. I, I want to look to your word. I want to be shaped by that. I want to recognize that I am not uh, the one who ultimately governs my life. That habit of mind um, is is going to bear fruit in your in your marriage. So if you're used to reading the Word of God and then saying, "Well, I, I get that, but I think I'm going to do this," that that's going to show up in your marriage right. as well. I think. Yeah, and I think for single ladies, all the single ladies, as you're reading oh, this text, you. I can't. Oh yeah, Beyonce. I don't even it know. Out. Um, right. When you read this text, though, if you if you're in a dating relationship. Or if you are looking, considering maybe you went on one date with a guy and you're like, oh, you know, you think he might be nice. Uh, test him with this. 
like in your have this text in your mind and go is this going to be a guy who will love me like Christ loved the church yes, good word. is this going to yeah. be a guy that I can actually uh, submit to that I can actually defer to and really like test it like don't don't be passive uh, but allow yourself to ask those hard questions and ask them of yourself and as you get to know him more ask them of him ask him good questions mm-hmm. and early on if you're noticing things that you that don't line up with that then be happy to walk away you know, there's something that I, th- I think should be added here to a real clarification that there are, there are those who will read this passage or passages like it and come to the conclusion. See, women submit to men. That's not, that's not what no. this is saying. Correct. And so th- there are certain relationships that all of us are in, in which you submit to the other party who has authority over you. Okay. So if you have a job, you have a boss, you are in a submission and authority relationship. Yeah. Your job there is to submit at every point that's non-moral here, right? When right. they say, listen, I want you to paint the wall blue as opposed <clears throat> to green. Your job there is not to say to the boss, you know, I'm not going to do it unless I get to do it my color. No, you're in a relationship where you are called to defer, actively defer to your boss to say, yeah. you know what? I'm going to do what you ask me to do, even if I don't, even if I think green's better than blue. I'm still going to paint it what what you asked me to do. So I'm in an authority relation. I'm an authority submission relationship there with your with your parents, right? You're in an authority submission relationship until you reach the proper age. Um, husbands and wives are in that kind of situation, right? Um, there are other places we're in the we're in an authority relationship uh, submission relationship to the government. There's lots of us. We submit at lots of points. But here's the question you need to ask yourself: Whenever you start thinking to yourself, "Oh, am I, I'm supposed to submit." here or you, you want to express your independence or whatever, you need to be asking yourself, is this one of those relationships in which God has placed me under the authority of someone else and I am called as a Christian to submit to their right, rightful authority and non-moral decisions? Do, do you understand? Mm-hmm. Um, I think most Christians, that we, we tend to default by saying, no, no, I'm, in, I'm independent and, and submission is a stupid idea. No, it's a godly idea. Jesus did it. And we have lots of places. I can show you passages where we're called to submit to the government, right? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Mm-hmm. So we are we are called to submit to the governing authorities over us, right? We are also called to submit to the elders of local churches. Mm-hmm. So you, you are in lots of these situations. So you need to identify who is it that I'm supposed to be submitting to and who am I not? So I'll give you a little story. I've been in situations with, with denominational um parties. And I've, I've sat at, at a meeting and they've asked me to do something. And my question to them has been, I'm not sure what to make of you and your request, because I don't know based upon our church polity, which means that the way that our churches function as a denomination, I'm not entirely sure what, like, are you in an authority over me hmm. or are you not? Because in Baptist settings, each local church is independent and doesn't have to respond right. to a larger, which is which is kind of the Mennonite brethren background, okay? Mm-hmm. We believe in the autonomy of the local church. But if you're a Presbyterian, yeah. Yeah. okay? Different story. Then the Presbyterian, the, the Presbytery, which is the, the body of, of men in the PCA, for example, yeah. they, they have an authority over the local church pastor. And when they say to me, listen, you need to do this, then the answer is, okay, yeah, 
Okay. Yeah, that's right. But I don't. So, so again, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that that's a legitimate question to ask. What kind of relationship are we in? So if you're dating, you're not in a relationship with that person where you are called to submit. Right. Um, if you are in, if you're on a, if you're on a sports team, you are in a relationship where you're supposed to submit to whom? Well, to the coach. To the coach. To yeah. their to their will. Uh, I want you to run a zone and not a man to man. I don't like zones and I think it's awful and I will not do it. Okay, listen. As a Christian, run the zone. Do you see what I mean? Like this, this is why this is such a great part of scripture because it's so practical and it works out in everyday life. So Russell Wilson did the right thing when he listened to the coach and he passed yes. at the one. Yep. And then was intercepted right. yeah. he, beautifully. He, 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 he did. did the right thing. He did the right thing. But again, if someone's asking you to do something immoral, right? I yes. want you to go and to torture those particular people over there. The answer is no. I would love to follow your directives because you are the army captain, but I am not going to do so because God is bigger than you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why is it then that, or there are obviously some of those relationships that are a no-brainer in our culture, meaning you give me a paycheck. For the most part, people submit willingly, but then in this area, there are questions. The word submission becomes... A difficult word. So I've always found that interesting that as as we talk about life and culture, there are many, all of us are in these relationships right now inside the church, outside the yeah. church, and yet here. And so why do you think that is? It's a really good question. I've actually been wondering that myself, that we, we are on sports teams and in workplaces and in government. I right. mean, government in particular, right. we let it's people, not even that hard for We let us. people tell us what to do all the time right. in many different areas, mm-hmm. and yet... Here in, in marriage, um, that's all of a sudden very hard. And it is really... Well, in the marriage and in church. And in church, right. Too, the, right? Yeah. Like you get so many people, they don't want to... They go, like, well, I don't want to become a member. So right. like, well, why don't you want to become a member? You, is it the individualistic society we live in that is just pushing that on you so you think so that so you're actually in charge of everything? We should mention, I think, or that what? part of the reason is because culturally, uh, at this point, uh, we we are at the the end of a long history of what was the the first wave of feminism, second wave, and now third wave of femi- feminism. If you want to read about that, some great stuff to read about. Mary Cassian does some great work there. Mm-hmm. But the first wave of feminism was basically uh, women's suffrage. You wanted to, to vote, right? Which mm-hmm. everybody should be a feminist. Right. Of that, you better right. believe you should be a feminist. Women have every right to vote because for years the belief was that they were not capable intellectually right. of making decisions like men can. That's not true. And the Bible never claimed that ever, but that was carried through for years and years. The second wave of feminism actually happened right around the sexual revolution, probably in the 1960s. And it was more that, that that's where feminism became <clears throat> more of an anti-Christian sort of rejection of patriarchy. And by patriarchy, I mean any kind of male leadership in the home work, whatever. And, some, there were some parts of it that were good, right? Equal pay for right. equal work, which I think is a really valuable, excellent thing. But yeah. there was a hard edge to it. Mm-hmm. Third wave of feminism now is basically, uh, I mean, it's following the, the, the line of um, individual autonomy that, it, that a woman should use her womanly ways in order to obtain power in the world, right? So if she has a, if men like the way you look, you should utilize the way you look so that you can gain power over them. Which is, of course, we would say, oh, I don't know if that's a deny yourself, take up your cross kind of 
life right. lifestyle. Right. But you, but this is why you have in third wave of feminism what people who are saying actually in the second wave of feminism it was a bad thing for someone to become a porn star, right? Because they were being objectified by men and were submitting in some way yes. to the authority of their gaze. But in the third wave of feminism, it's the opposite. They they are actually no no no. You're not object. You're not submitting yourself to the objectification of others, which you are. But you like you're not. You're actually utilizing right. your sexuality to try to win money or mm-hmm. fame or or power. And nowadays, if you are, I mean, you can just see this with uh, Paris Hilton or whatever these people put out. I or mean, Beyonce, right? They, right. They have sex tapes or they have whatever, and this this yeah. gains them some kind of uh-huh. notoriety and standing in the culture. It gives them more yeah. money. It gives them more power. It gives them, and they are champions of third wave feminism. Now, I'm I'm describing those because I want to say I think second and third wave feminism have significant problems in terms of their in terms of their anti Christian sort of bias. They're doing, mm-hmm. you wouldn't go to the scriptures and say, "Well, this is the kind of thing that it." That that Christians should embody, but I do believe second and third wave feminism have seeped into the church to such degree that that any time anyone, any woman is said submit right in in the pages of scripture, that is taken by the culture at large and in the church as being a sign of patriarchy that should be rejected, out of hand because of how it has been abused in the past, but also just because it just can't be that case. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are all sorts of, my point is there's a massive cultural forces when we get involved in, in this that aren't happening in, in workplaces necessarily. Uh, when, when a man submits to a, another, you know, body, it does happen when a woman submits to, to men in the workplace because she's concerned that she's not getting certain kinds of pay and things like that. But I, like anytime you mention this in any kind of place these days, there's this whole like backlog of cultural baggage just comes right to the front and it it becomes almost visceral for people both culturally and you know individually if you've had a if you've had a bad experience in the past with a father or husband or someone who's treated you poorly and unfortunately so many have it it just becomes Mm -hmm. like i'm not even gonna listen to this Mm -hmm. right the example you you gave on the weekend was um a, a bat is not inherently a good or a bad thing and, and depending on what you use, you can abuse that, that thing. And it strikes me that um, when we talk about submission, that's, it's as if any, the only time people have ever seen a bat used is, is to hurt people. And so now you come in and you say, no, it can be used to play baseball. It's really fun. It's great. It's life-giving. And everyone is, is saying, no, 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 that this is, I've never seen that. I've never, and, and in the same way with the word, the very word submit has all these connotations, not, not just in terms of gender, but in terms of politics, in terms of, uh, between different socioeconomic groups. Right. So it's so, it's such a word laden with all these that it's so hard. And that's why I think at the beginning you said, look, are we, um, the real question is what, what's our approach to the word of God? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Do we do we believe that this word is life giving? That it's for our our joy? That God actually loves us? Because mm-hmm. if we begin there, th- then we can approach it from I think the way that it's intended and where we can cut through some of that. But that's that's also an area of submission. Yeah, and 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 okay. So I say that, and that's why you know I I don't I don't want to make it sound like people who you know. So for example, if you don't hold a viewpoint, there's a debate. A live debate about these issues in the Christian church. And so there are those who would say, hey, man, I, I believe the Bible, too. 
and I want to submit to his authority, and I have a high view, and I want to sit under it, not over it, but you've just flat misunderstood this text and other texts in the scriptures like it. You know, your, play, your, your replaying of the biblical storyline is, is highly patriarchal, and do you see what I mean? And so, like, well, that's another factor. This is one of the reasons why people reject it is because they've, they've said, well, the scriptures don't teach this. And so they'll take the passage, for example, of Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and they'll make the argument that, see, you're supposed to, everyone's supposed to submit to everybody. And even in the image that's utilized there, right, uh, she's supposed to submit as the, as the church does to Christ. And then, the, of course, the question is, well, in what way does Christ submit to the church? There are those who are making the argument today that, no, that's exactly what Jesus does when he goes to the cross. He submits to the church, which... I mean, theologically, I have massive problems with. Right. But there are those who are making those arguments. And so if you go to a church that discusses it like that, it becomes kind of plausible. And so now you feel like, well, all those people who have, who are arguing like I did this weekend are actually are actually not not just, you know, buying into a historic patriarchal culture and you should move beyond that. But you're reading the Bible wrong and and your false teaching. There are people in churches I know around who who would are just. I mean, Greg Harris was preaching up a mission this weekend. He said that the number of people were shaking their heads while he was talking about this, and the people who were shaking their heads, he knows them, and they have they have theological viewpoints that basically take this text and make it of no of no effect. They essentially say that Paul Paul here is we've moved beyond this passage and this idea here, and so as a result, that's part of the reason why in churches you find so many people who are not into it. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's detrimental. Can I just add? Yeah. No, it's de- that's detrimental to marriages. Okay. And I said at the beginning of my sermon, though, here, here's the thing. I, God has a right to determine for us our relationships and how they should function best. He, he also has the right to determine how the world functions best. And so he, he gets to define what's good, true, and beautiful. And so if we've understood this right, right if you read Ephesians 5, and, and you come to the conclusion that, yeah, no, this is the holy word of God spoken through the apostles who are, who, who you know, they have news to, uh, God breathed mm-hmm. through them. And so these are God's very words. Then God is speaking here. And our response to this is, should never be one of one. Well, I just, I, I just, I know. Right. Or second to kind of apologize for it, which is, seems to be the, well, okay. Yeah, maybe it's true, but you shouldn't really say it loudly certainly not in a culture like ours because you know everyone's gonna get mad at you i made that point this weekend and i stand by it like why should i not proclaim boldly what it is that god that who's god says of, of course i should i mean what's my job is that my job i think so herald absolutely. of the herald of the king absolutely so I'm, I'm not gonna apologize to say that this is what the, what's best for people i think that if you if you run against what it is that it says here in your marriage it will end up causing trouble. Again, you will be operating under the fall. And I think that that will ultimately cause you trouble. What's very interesting to me is that there are those who disagree, though, with this, who end up employing some of the same ideas, but you're calling something, call them something else. Do you know what I mean? So there are husbands who are showing godly leadership, but under the guise of, oh, this is just equal submission type thing. So in practice, sometimes we get it right, hmm. right? Sure. So that our marriages are strong. Yeah, but I'm just saying that we should just own the language and recognize that this is what God calls us to do, and I think it's a place where the church can actually be radically countercultural and can actually show a better way for our culture. Because let's just be honest, the culture's not doing that well with marriage guys. Hmm. True. Right. 
but we do need to have grace in, like in all teachings, especially for those, uh, women in particular, wives in particular, just haven't seen this right done. Well, it's not like it's Monday. So now chain, like it's, there are, there's a time, right? Well, it's right. Tuesday, Matt. So right. Sorry. It's Tuesday. So Tuesday by now, recording this. by now, every, every wife no, and there's tons totally of questions adopted. on yeah. the actual outworking of it. I think one of them came in about deference yeah. about what that means. What does that look like? Uh-huh. Or what is it mean to give space to lead? Yeah. So I made that, that, that was the language. Your seminary, was, your seminary illustration I thought was really good with that. Yeah. Where, where, where Jeannie deferred the choice of where you were going to go to seminary, yep. right? Like you called her, you had made a decision in your mind. You're a little concerned because you're like, it's ugly old Dallas that mm-hmm. we're going to go to. But then she was like, you know what? It's okay because we're following God. He's going to be with us and I'm going to be with you. Right. So what, I, what I'm saying is the language of deference is one that I wish we would bring back because I actually think it's the key to being to godly submission in any relationship. What it, It's an active work deference is. It's not passive. I am not. I, this is what bothers me about when we talk about submission. We act in some ways as if those who are submitting are just letting letting people walk on them. No, they're not. They are willfully and intelligently recognizing their role in a relationship and endorsing it by acting out in a particular way. And so, act. So I'll, I'll liken this to uh, if I'm in a workplace, which I am. Uh, I have a responsibility toward my boss. Okay, and, and there are points at which there are going to be questions that are raised toward me. So if I'm walking around the church and I'm the young adults pastor of this church and I, someone asked me a question, why is it that uh, such and such was canceled? Right. And it has nothing to do with my ministry. And it was can- and it was a decision that was made by the senior leadership team of the church as a young adult pastor of the church. I I I can try to answer it. And maybe that's helpful. But I'm choosing willfully to say, listen, uh, that is not a decision that that I was asked to make or need to make. You need to ask that question to this other party or do, do you understand? Or in in a situation where uh, I might have a different opinion than the leaders, the senior leadership team on a non-moral issue about, OK, we're going to paint the wall this color or that color. I might like the other color, but I'm willfully stopping and recognizing I am not the one who is called by God to make this decision. I can give my feedback and my viewpoint, but at the end of the day, not my call. And I'm not going to be held responsible for it ultimately. So I'm going to defer. I'm going to make room. Because the temptation in all of our situations is that we want to jump into that void and make the decision and fight for what we think is good, which is fine. But there's a point at which you need to stop fighting and recognize I have given my view on the matter, but it is not my call. It, it, it is the call of these others. There is a real peace there, just so you know. But that's what I mean by deference. That it's an active choice. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's, that's what he's doing. He's saying, listen, I, don't, the, I, don't, I want to do this other thing, but I'm actively choosing to embrace your view on this, and I will do what you call me, what you call me to. Ezra Cody does this an awful lot with me. He'll do this. He'll often talk to me and he'll say, I don't like this decision that we're talking about, your viewpoint. I don't like it. I don't think it's the right viewpoint. Here are the reasons. But I just need you to know that I'm whatever you decide is what you're going to decide and I'm going to be with you. That's deference. Yeah. Right. And then in as the lead pass, so we'll use that as an example, is in a case of loving him well, 
in that time. You listen. Oh yeah, and, and I explain. And you take you take it into consideration and kind of go and explain back, and you have that conversation. But then when it push comes to shove and the choice needs to be made, then you still make the choice because you're the lead. Because God called me to fulfill that function in this thing. And it makes me no more important than Ezra right? or less important than Ezra. It's just the function that I'm called to to employ. I think it's helpful to that example of where to go in seminary is is a good one because it's a big, massive life decision that you're feeling a sense of calling. I think though, sometimes husbands take that and apply it to where you're going to go on vacation, uh, just all these other decisions in life. And what I, what I think you're saying, you haven't said it, but, um, tell me if I'm right. that's, that's not like as a loving leader, you're, you're only going to that place of making the call when, when you feel, uh, this is what n- needs to happen. I feel the Lord himself is calling me to this. And so then the loving leader in so many, maybe every other area of life says, honey, what do you, what do you, what's best for, what do you want? Totally. And, and you involve, it's a team. What's good correct? leadership? Well, what's good leadership yeah. look like? It involves those, involves those in the decision-making, right? Who are, who are with you. Right, like yeah. it's much, people will be much more inclined to follow if they have a part to play in making the decision. Yeah. Good leaders also recognize where, 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 where they're going to have to make a, a decision on something that is going to be unpopular. I do this with my kids all the time. Okay. Like sometimes the decisions I make with my children are not popular, but they're for their ultimate good. Do your homework, right? I don't want to do my homework. Um, Yeah, okay, you're going to do your homework right now. And I expect something from you right now. And that's to submit. You're going to have to submit to what I'm asking you because I have have your good in mind. So there are places where you have to make those kinds of decisions that are not going to be popular. But my gosh, I hope that they're few and far between, don't you? Yeah, and I th- and they are. I think that's what also we need to, especially for the young marrieds, to, right. to know that they're very, like in, in our marriage, there's been a couple of times where Don and I have just got to a point where I've had to make a decision, but... But mm-hmm. by and large, and then what you've done is you've, you've, you've tilled the soil, so to speak. You, you've set a, a culture in your marriage and your, like any workplace, where everyone, you know, feels involved. And so when the decision has to be made, it's, it's on a background of so many instances of love and grace and right. sacrifice. And then when that comes, right. it's... You've listened to me so many times right. in the past that in this moment where you're, not, when, where you're disagreeing with my, my viewpoint, I, and a lot of times you make, you've made decisions involving me, and like I still feel genuinely heard. But there's a part to play in both of them. Sometimes you might have to make that hard decision, but most of the time you don't. I actually think people you need to win people's minds. Again, that that's good leadership is trying to win people's minds to an idea mm-hmm. instead of just being a dic- a dictator with it. Some guys think that this is again, they think this is a, a, a you know, oh, now I've gotten the authority and right to domineer. What? Dude, that's the fall. Do you mm-hmm. see what I mean? That right. that's that's you're going to rule over her, right? No. No, you you're not. You're going to love her like Jesus and you're going to mm-hmm. I mean, how does Jesus convince you? To follow, does does Jesus just come up to you and say you're following me now? No, he actually he actually woos your heart mm-hmm. to follow him, mm-hmm. uh, so that you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? There's nobody who's a Christian today who's like I don't want to be a Christian, but I am. <laughs> no, he he won your heart to mm-hmm. it, and this is this is the kind of leadership that we are called to show. Mm-hmm. John, all right, thanks, guys. We are going to. End our podcast there for this week. Calling it there, huh? Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening and look forward to having you back with us next week again. 